This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Yeah, I make gross soup. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And the highlights of the marshmallows, which really tells you. Welcome to Bob the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo, and as always, we're both comedians. And as always, we're a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season four, episode 14 of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer's Goodbye, Iowa. As well as Gilmore Girls, The Incredible Sinking Lorelei's. As always, I'm excited to talk about these with you. Yeah, I thought they were both pretty good. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see the season arcs come to fruition. Yes, yes, things are coming or together. Develop more. Did you notice any similarities? Yeah. Yeah? hmm You want to point them out as we go? Sure. I noticed one very specific similarity. Yeah? And I'll point it out as we go. Oh, I'm excited. I don't want to give away everything up top or people yeah. won't listen to the whole thing. Exactly. People are only in it for the similarities. Mm-hmm. I want to mention about the last episode of Buffy and of Gilmore Girls. Mm-hmm. I said that the Gilmore Girls episode title was really good, but I actually think the Buffy title was great. The, the I and team. team. Like, I thought that's a good one. It's like a commando team, right? With yeah. like a rank and file. We're all working together. But Buffy is like not conforming to that. Sure. Like, she's wearing a halter top. She's not really following the orders. She kind of wants to do it her way. She's the I in team. Like, it's all about her. And I don't mean that in a negative way because like Buffy's way better than all those people. So like, she is the special one. You she know? is like the odd one out that doesn't really need any of them. Yeah. I really thought they were going to go to Iowa. I thought that's what this one was about. Just a nice Iowa Christmas and maybe there's a monster or something. And then they left. Yeah. And they're going to say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, that's not what happens. No, that's not what happens. I think this is a a decent title as well for Buffy. But I'll talk about when we get there. Yeah, talk about when we get there. Yeah. I just feel like I needed to mention I and Team for the last episode. Well, thank you. We have a five-star review, Brian. Ooh. Thank you so much to Scooby Gang Dollar Sign. And also, I don't know who you are, but thank you so much to all the Spotify listeners who have been leaving us five stars. Yeah, thank you. We've got a bunch already. I mentioned it last time, but Spotify now allows you to leave a star rating for podcasts. I think only on your phone. I didn't see a way to do it on a computer, but if you're on a phone, hit that five star button if you like what you're hearing. And just a reminder that we have a partnership with Wink.com, so if you love wine, you should order from them. You get four bottles of wine for $29.95. That's your first order from them, plus free shipping. They help you decide what wines best fit your palate, so it's perfect if you don't really know anything about wines. If you know stuff about wines, maybe it's still perfect. I don't know. Yeah, either way, you don't have to go to the liquor store. They ship it to you, wines you like. You can find a link in our episode descriptions, and remember to type in Gilmore Slayer as the promo code at checkout to get the discount. Yeah. Can't wait for our January wines. We've had a pretty busy week. Uh, we watched all the Matrix movies, all of them, except for Animatrix. I didn't even know there was an Animatrix. It's more like a collection of shorts, so it's not really a movie movie. Like jean shorts? Yeah, it's just someone parading out. It's Keanu Reeves showing off his jean shorts. Wow. Who knew? He was super into jean shorts. Shorts. It's so funny. We really liked Matrix 1, I think. I mean, I did. I yes. feel like you did. Yes. Matrix 2. We Both of us have seen all of them yeah. before, but we had been a while, especially since we'd seen the sequels. I feel like 2 has some issues, specifically some really bad CGI at some points. But overall, I have to say I still like the second one because I think the action sequences are really interesting and inventive. And the kung fu is amazing to watch. 
It does have some flaws, but then the third one is honestly just a mess. It's just one big giant war. It's kind of boring. We both fell asleep. Yeah. We fell asleep during a giant mech battle action sequence. Then we regrouped. We started the fourth one. We did have to pause to go to bed because it was now two in the morning. Yeah. But I, the fourth one's weird if you haven't seen it. we Our recommendation is yes. Yeah, it's weird. And there's still things I don't know what, whether I liked it or not. But it's just so different than the other ones. Yeah, I feel like not everyone's going to like it because it's a very different vibe. Totally. And it for sure has flaws that I could list. But I have to say, if you go into it being like, this is not the Matrix films that I've seen, this is going to be a different take, you might enjoy it. Yeah, it was it was definitely fun and intriguing. Yeah. The whole time, though, we were like, this might still end up being bad. Yeah. <laughs> See where it goes. But overall, I was satisfied. It feels like there'll be more. I don't know if that's the plan. Yeah. But we also watched some Buffy. Yes, we did. So, Stacey, why don't you tell us about Goodbye, Iowa? I would love to, Brian. We were replaced by robots, if that wasn't clear. Was it, Mr. Anderson? We also can't stop doing that voice. That's true. I think Hugo Weaving probably does that to himself in the mirror every day. <laughs> we keep saying Mr. Vonicat. To our cat, yeah. Anyway, goodbye, Iowa. So this episode is about Riley finding out that Maggie Walsh is dead and trying to figure out why that could be and, like, if maybe Buffy had something to do with it. Was Maggie bad? Is Riley bad? Who is Adam? Riley's going through a lot in this episode. And we know that Buffy's good. So how do we tell Riley that? Okay. It picks up right where we left off. Buffy has showed up to Giles' house and is telling everyone how Maggie Walsh just tried to have her killed. Spike makes fun of her taste in men and says that he has a cousin married to some gross demon who has better relationship instincts than Buffy. Does that mean Spike bit his cousin? Like, why would he have a cousin that's alive? Yeah, his cousin has to be hundreds of years old. Right. Or at least a hundred-some years old, rather. It doesn't make sense that he would have an alive cousin unless they were also a demon. Yeah. Could be. Sure. Spike also plants the idea that Riley doesn't necessarily not have anything to do with this all. And Buffy and Willow are kind of both like, no, no, Riley's a good boy. Then Xander points out the fact that Maggie knows that all of Buffy's friends know about all of this. I don't know if that's true. Does she just assume Buffy told them? I don't know that I've seen a scene where Buffy's like, and my friend Xander knows. Yeah, I mean, Riley knows. Yeah, yeah. I guess we don't know that she knows, but... But they deduced that Maggie wanted to kill her because she was getting too close to figuring something out that Maggie was maybe trying to hide. Cue Adam, the escaped Frankenstein monster who killed Maggie Walsh at the end of the last episode, emerging from the back door of the initiative. Just this not-so-inconspicuous door in the middle of the woods somewhere. Yeah. We'll get back to his activities in a minute. Buffy doesn't see this because she's still at Giles, but the gang decides they need to not hang out at Giles' place anymore or Willow's place because the initiative will probably come looking for them in places that they usually hang out. So they decide they're going to all stay at Xander's place indefinitely. How does that make sense? Like, if they know Xander's part of her crew, they would know where he lives too, potentially. I mean, I don't know that they would know that he lives with his parents. I guess. But do they know where Willow's house is? We haven't seen Willow hang out at her house since college started. Willow doesn't have a house. But Willow offers her place, which I took to mean her house, not her and Buffy's shared place. That's true. Yeah, if they're going to check her parents' house, they probably check Xander's house. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you're right. Riley's been to Giles' house before. Yeah. So I do see why that's off limits, but I don't really get why Xander's is better than Willow's. No one wants to go to Spike's house. We go to Xander's house every episode this season. We've never seen Willow's place that I can remember since last season. Giles is like, absolutely not. I will not squat in that dank hole. (laughs) My place is just fine. And then Riley pops in. Remember he had seen on the screens that Maggie maybe tried to kill Buffy? 
He wants to know specifically what happened. But none of Buffy's people are, like, really sure they can trust Riley. Right. And then he sees Spike. And this time, he recognizes him. Spike tries. He's like, uh, I'm still Xander's friend. Ah, uh, no. Yeah. Yeah, he just admits it this time. It's kind of funny because Buffy can't really justify why they're harboring him, which I think means the show can't. I know. She's like, it's a long story. I'm like, it's not, though. You should kill Spike. <laughs> yeah. But she's like, yeah, he's good now. I don't know. Whatever. He's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm so bad. I am a threat to everyone. He also says that Riley and the initiative have his blessing to kill Buffy. After doing some thumbs up. <laughs> like that little moment where he gives two thumbs up. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'm out. Puts his coat over his head, runs out into the sunlight. But what about his hands in the sun? His like casual running through the sun is a bit much. Angel does that too. Uh, in earshot when he brought the potion to save Buffy, but I think in Angel he must do that too. Yeah, I'd be afraid there'd be like a strong wind that would like blow back a little bit of the tarp and then I'd die. But maybe throw some gloves on. Yeah. By the way, I think his British accent fell apart a couple times in this scene. Yeah. It was just a couple words. I was like, whoa, you're not British. Riley's very confused and pissed about this. Yeah, he's like, is he British? Is he not? (laughs) I don't get it. I mean, the whole Maggie-Buffy situation. Yeah, he's having some trouble accepting what's happening. That's kind of the theme of the whole episode. Yeah. Xander's very defensive of Buffy, but Riley maintains that he didn't know anything about why Walsh would want to kill Buffy, and that it's not possible that the initiative would have any kind of dark motivations, so he just leaves. He's going to go walk around, figure things out on his own. Yeah, you can see he's, like, struggling, though, because he's got, like, two truths in his head that he can't reconcile, right? Like, obviously what he saw from Buffy, he saw, and it doesn't really mesh with everything's fine at the initiative. Mm -hmm. So he's, like, it's like cognitive dissonance. He can't reconcile these two things. So I kind of I kind of liked that because it's just like his whole world has been turned upside down. Yeah. And he's trying his best to make sense of it, but like it's very difficult because he's been conditioned to believe one thing his whole life. His whole life? No, not his whole life. He's been conditioned to believe one thing for his adult life. Adam, meanwhile, is just walking through the woods and stumbles across the little boy that Eric from Boy Meets World almost adopted. Too bad they didn't adopt him earlier. <laughs> I'm not going to stop talking about Boy Meets World as if the audience has also seen every episode multiple times. He's cute. He's a great little actor. And Adam just walks right up to him and asks, what am I? And the boy, unfazed, is like, you're a monster. He seems into it, not scared at all. Well, he's like playing with like a little robot monster toy. Yeah, he's been waiting for this moment his whole life, which is about to end. Yeah. And Adam's like, what are you? How do you work? And the little boy is just like, I don't know, man. What do you want from me? And then he asks about his bone arm protrusion. He's like, what does that do? And we can tell from Adam's facial expression that he's going to show the little boy what it do. What it do. Dr. Engelman. Walsh's right-hand man is going into the 314 room, and the lights don't work. Not really sure why that would be. Did Adam break them when he left? Yeah, that is weird. And then he slips on some blood and sees Maggie's dead body on the floor. I really think he would have been able to see that body as soon as he opened the door from the light in the hallway. Honestly, this whole scene is staged really poorly. I feel like his blood slip is unbelievable from where the blood pile is and where I see the blood in the neck. It doesn't make sense. Her body was, like, across from the door. It, wasn't, yeah. it wouldn't be a secret. Also, Adam's body's not on the stretcher. Yeah. There's, like, a lot of things he probably could see with just the light from the hallway. The next morning, Giles wakes up in an inflatable chair in Xander's basement to the sounds of cartoons on the TV. Willow, Anya, and Buffy are sharing a pull-out couch bed watching Roadrunner. It's very cute. Them a little slumber party. It's a very funny line. Buffy comments on something that happens in the cartoon. She's like, that would never happen. (laughs) 
And Willow's like, that's why they call them cartoons, not documentaries. But I don't know, it's just funny than a very fantasy show. They're yeah. saying something doesn't make sense. Giles comes over and slams the TV off. They make fun of him for being cranky. And he says, yes, I can't imagine why I didn't sleep well in my beach ball. <laughs> <laughs> Things are tense in these tight living quarters. Buffy's pretty worried about Riley. Anya says, you should get yourself a boring boyfriend like Xander. She's like, I tried. I thought Riley was my boring boyfriend. And then Xander comes down, demanding they turn on the TV. And somehow, when you turn off cartoons on Xander's TV, when you turn the TV back on, it automatically switches to news. That's cool. (laughs) Well, you got to think this is like breaking news, but it's like kind of weird breaking news for a cartoon cover. Yeah, I don't think they would cut from this cartoon. Hey, kids, you want to see a dead kid? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, the news is telling them that a young boy was stabbed and mutilated by some kind of large skewer. Now back to slapstick. (laughs) And then Buffy, of course, is like, huh, that would happen. Buffy immediately suspects that the Bones Arms demon, the Polgara demon from the previous episode, is the one that did this. Little does she know that its bones were removed and put into Adam's arms. Not just his bones, his whole arm. Yeah, yeah. So Buffy gives this impassioned speech that she's going to go after the demon and put a stop to all this. Right after I change out of my sushi pajamas. (laughs) Riley's been walking around thinking all night. He gets back to his house and tells Forrest that Walsh tried to have Buffy killed. But Forrest is all like, Buffy probably deserved it. And suggests that Buffy is some kind of spy, maybe using Riley to infiltrate the initiative. Graham comes in through the ball's door with the news that Professor Walsh is dead. Ball's door is a door with a poster on it that says ball. (laughs) Just stupid. Not a door you like open with your balls or something. (laughs) A door made of balls. Yeah. They go to look at her body, which is still just on the floor, being examined by various people. Forrest says it looks like she's been staked. Wonder who could have done that. Riley's like, no, no, the Polgaro could have done this. He's really mad at Forrest for suggesting it could be Buffy. And they like almost come to blows. But Dr. Engelman breaks up the fight. He agrees it seems like the work of the Polgaro demon. And he says that it escaped last night and that Riley isn't allowed to go after it. They're going on lockdown until Washington sends the team to investigate the situation. Riley's like, fuck that. I'm technically still in charge until the higher ups get here. We're going after this thing. Does he outrank the doctor, though? I think so, because the doctor's not, like, a military commander. Was Maggie? I think so. Okay. So, like, I feel like he can't, he can maybe give orders when it comes to, like, science stuff, but not to the military guys. So, Forrest and Graham go to Spike's house. They can tell someone's living there, because the TV is still warm. Probably automatically turned on when that news report came in. (laughs) And they open up this, like, coffin and find nothing but a skeleton. And then they leave. Turns out Spike was hiding under the skeleton. It's vagina. It's such a weird... He, like, comes up between her legs. Oh, yeah, you're right. Did he somehow know they were coming, or is that just, like, where he sleeps? I mean, I think it would make sense. That he sleeps under there? Yeah, I mean, he knows that the initiative guys, like, know about him. Yeah. It's also daytime, so he can't go anywhere. I guess he doesn't breathe, so it wouldn't really matter if he's, like, suffocating. Right. Buffy has gone to the scene of the Boy Meets World Boys murder. So has Riley. There's weird shots in this scene, like through a scope, like someone is watching them, but that's never addressed. So I don't know if they just had weird shots that got left in. Yeah, it's. I thought like, oh, his buddies are watching through like... Yeah, or Adam or something. Yeah. And maybe this is something that would have been edited the way it was like broadcast or something, but it's like a weird... Like the corners of the screen are like rounded. Yeah, for some of the shots. Mm -hmm. It's weird. From like the bushes, like from a ways away of Buffy and Riley talking. Buffy tries to apologize for hiding Spike. Riley's not really having it. 
But Buffy tells them she assumes it was the Polgara demon. It kind of seems like Riley's not so sure, though. Like, he's starting to suspect maybe Buffy had something to do with this. Like, what Forrest said's getting to him. Messing with his mind a bit. Meanwhile, Willow goes to visit Tara. They have this conversation about how much fun they've been having doing spells together. But really, you could replace every time they say spells with, like, finger stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I promise I come over for the friendship, not just the finger stuff. (laughs) But maybe we could, like, real quick do some finger stuff. I'm still thinking about the finger stuff from last time. (laughs) Just watch it. It's, it's, It's very... Just watch it. Willow wants to do more a, finger stuff. <laughs> a spell, she says, to help them locate demonic energy in the area by conjuring the goddess Thespia. Tara seems reluctant. So they're about to try the spell. They're going to blow different parts of this potion onto like this map of Sunnydale, which is just a square. I don't know how this is a map of anything. But while Willow's eyes are closed, and when it's Tara's turn to blow her portion of the potion, she just hides it under her bed. And then Willow's like, huh. Why didn't the spell work? Huh. And Tara's all like, me not know. Couple things. Tara lives on campus, I assume. Yeah. But her dorm room is like painted black. I feel like we could not paint our dorm rooms. Yeah, that's the most unbelievable part of the <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah, but also, what's going on with Tara? <laughs> My current theory is that Tara is- Likes to paint walls no matter the rules. Yes. But also that she is the goddess Thespia? Hmm. Hmm. Or, or, maybe she's not a witch at all. Maybe she's witch adjacent, like a squib, but she knows Willow is very powerful because she's witch adjacent. I think the first theory is more likely. Because rewatching the scene, she seemed very hesitant, specifically when Willow mentioned the name of the goddess. Yeah. Um, I understand why you're not replying, mm-hmm. and nobody else should either. I'll figure it out eventually. Just saying my theories. What if she's a demon? Just that's like another obvious suggestion that you didn't mention. Oh, yeah. Right? Because the spell was to locate demons. That could be. I don't know that you would tell me that if that was the case. That's true. But maybe. Because I didn't suspect it. I just felt that that was like an obvious thing. So that's why. The only reason I would mention it. Or she just like knows that that spell is bad news. Yeah. Could be any of these things. But one thing is true. Finger stuff. (laughs) Buffy goes to visit Willie. I still don't really get this relationship, but it's kind of explained in this scene. Like, why does anyone come to this bar when they know he's a snitch? But, I mean, he says he's tried to change. He's not snitching anymore. And Buffy's like, okay, I'm going to have to punch you. He's like, yeah, okay, but go easy on me. Just make it look convincing. I'll tell you anything. (laughs) Like, it's funny because he hasn't changed and he admits he'll just tell her whatever. So they do this little scene where he pretends he can't tell her and then she punches him really hard anyway. But why do people go there? Why do they trust him? That, That doesn't make any sense. And she knows about this place. Why doesn't she just, like, kill everybody in there? Yeah. Well, it is true that some demons aren't evil so yeah i guess there's that and there maybe is just a regular woman in here too yeah i want to mention though that this is the last time we see willie and they never really justify why he's gone probably because his logic makes no sense yeah he tells her as far as he knows the polgara is off the streets and she starts asking him if he knows anything about 314 and then riley comes in He's like, oh, so, so you're not hunting demons? You're just hanging out at the bar with them? He's By like, the way, he looks sweaty as fuck right now. Yeah. He's like super pissed. He wants answers. Buffy notices he's shaking. And then he just like grabs Buffy, starts demanding the truth. He threatens to shoot this random old lady who, who is maybe just human there. But he's like trying to see if she's a vampire by killing her with a gun. I don't know why some little old lady would go to the demon bar though by herself. I don't know. So it's like... Is it an old lady? <laughs> but she seems so scared. But, like, if she was a demon, she probably would be a decent actor. I don't know. Yeah. He's very confused. He doesn't know what to believe. Just super stressed. But it seems like maybe something physical is happening to him, too. 
So Buffy takes him back to Xander's basement. He says it feels like something is crawling inside of him, and he's like scratching at his arm like your butt burn. Okay, you might need to explain that. Maybe you should. So the other day in the bathroom, I was getting ready for a shower, and I was taking my pants off, and I like leaned down, and we have a radiator pole uh, there, and I put my butt up against it, and it burned. Accidentally, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I liked it. <laughs> you, f- I forget it gets hot because, I, I don't know, it d- doesn't always. Well, yeah, in the summer, it's not. <laughs> in the summer, constantly putting my butt against that cold pole. So you've had a bit of a, a butt situation. Yeah, so it burnt my butt kind of bad, and it's <laughs> been like peeling and like itching really bad. Anyway, everybody, it's not an STD. It's just a butt burn. <laughs> but you keep, like, scratching at it. It's coming off. Yeah. I don't need to tell them that if you don't want me to. You can tell them. It looks like Adam's face. No, it doesn't. Look at it again. It looks like Riley's hand. <laughs> so she wrapped her little hair bandana around his butt burn. His hand burn. And he wants to talk to Buffy, like, kind of work out all the stuff that's going on in his head. He says he doesn't know anything, like which side he's on, who's good, who's bad. Maybe he's the bad guy. And Buffy's just like, shh, you're sick. Just shut up and go to sleep. <laughs> like, it's kind of shitty. If he wants to process his feelings, that's allowed. Don't tell him to go to bed like he's a baby. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like seem really gaslighty. Yeah. You're just sick. Nothing's wrong. I mean, he's dealing with a lot of shit. Be there for him. I mean, he probably does need some sleep, but like. He did a crazy thing where he pulled a gun on maybe an old woman. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. But like, yeah, let him process this stuff. I guess he's into powerful mother figures, so maybe this is hot for him. Yeah, Buffy's like, you're going to want this. I'm going to give you commands. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes night-night in the fetal position in Xander's couch bed. Buffy's going to go investigate what's making Riley act so weird. She's taken Xander undercover with her to the initiative because of his military experience. That's always handy. Buffy's disguise is glasses. (laughs) She has a lab coat. (laughs) Yes. Did she get this idea from her husband? Guys, Freddie thinks we should do a she's all that. It's so funny because, like, Buffy joined the initiative and was, like, very much a sore thumb. Like, just sticking out, didn't wear the proper gear, is like, I'm a superhero. Everybody at the initiative knows who the fuck Buffy is. Yeah, throw a wig on. There's no blonde girls walking around. Yeah, there's no super hot, petite <laughs> I haven't like seen scientist. any women besides Professor Walsh. Yeah. It's just like, they're going to know who you are immediately. Especially with Xander's, like, bullshit military outfit. It does not look up to code at all. But they go to the secret mirror. Buffy wasn't sure if her clearance would work, but it did. The retinal scan works. And they ride down on the secret elevator. Willow is telling Giles and Anya about how she completely whiffed that spell. And Anya and Giles say their research really has them thinking this couldn't be the work of the Polgar demon. Meanwhile, Riley has woken up, still not doing great. The nap has not helped, and he's just, like, done being kept there. That's the thing about naps. It's either amazing or you wake up worse than you started. This has been a commercial for naps. (laughs) (laughs) They're fine. Listen, guys, here's the deal. You cannot nap more than half an hour. If you do, your body's not going to deal with it. Your mind wants to go back to sleep. What if you only slept for like a couple hours, though? No, you. Well, then take a sleep. <laughs> Don't take a nap. A nap has got to be between 15 and 30 minutes. No longer. That seems so short. I know, but that's, that's just the truth, guys. This has been the rest of the commercial for naps. naps. Riley hears Buffy went to the initiative, and he is pissed. He throws Willow to the ground and runs out. To be fair, I mean, I'm not, he is being crazy, but he does say, like, get out of my way. The only reason I point that out is because, like, it's pretty, like, shitty what he does, for sure. But, like, they try to make it clear that, like, he's not just, like, waking up and, like, punching people in the face, you know? He he asked first. Xander, too, is just completely amazed by the unimpressive initiative. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then he tries to make out with Buffy's to, like, keep their cover. Like, someone walks by, and he's like, we should make out. I thought that was funny. They do that in movies all the time. Like, spy movies, when someone walks by, they might recognize them, and they, like, make out. They do that in, like, Mission Impossible. Okay, I guess, yeah. Because they, they say that in the show, that he thinks that's, like, a trope and stuff. And I guess it is. But then she's like, yeah, but military guys and scientists aren't making out <laughs> on the job. Anyway, they overhear Dr. Engelman and another doctor talking. Explaining the entire plot. Yeah. Just in the hallway. Yeah, it's a lot. They talk about how the commandos are all off their meds schedule because of the professor's death. Like, they're all just freaking out and not taking their meds. And suggest that that's probably not great for them. And that these guys don't know that they've been getting meds through their food. Last episode, Riley was taking vitamins. On a timer. So which is it? Vitamins, food, both? Like, did they forget they said vitamins in the previous episode? Is Riley getting special things in his vitamins? And how do you, like, forget to take your vitamins on a timer every day, even if someone dies? Yeah, I don't know. I guess if they don't realize how important they are. Yeah. They think they're just vitamins, they might not question it. That's true. But Dr. Engelman says they gotta get all those guys in here now, especially Riley, because he's too important to the work to lose. As we said, though, this conversation is very loud. And, like, the other doctor should totally be able to see Xander. Yeah. Just down the hallway, who is dressed as a commando, who shouldn't be overhearing this if he thinks he's a commando. Anyway, the secret experiments they've been doing on these people right over there. Like, yes. <laughs> but Dr. Engelman goes back into the restricted area, but Buffy manages to, like, slip a clipboard in the door and follows him in and demands answers. He's like, no, no, they'll see you on the security monitors. And then Riley walks in saying, actually, the security system went down 10 minutes ago. Apparently Xander did this somehow. Like, when? When? <laughs> there was a cut where they like cut away to a different scene that I maybe haven't talked about yet, but Buffy would have been with him the entire time. Yeah. She'd been like, what are you doing to those wires over there? Right. Also, I just hate the dialogue from Xander here. It's just weird, like, thank God for small favors and we'll tell He should have just been like, I did it when you were doing this. That would have explained it all. Yeah, because he says he'll tell her later, but he, he doesn't. Like, I would like to know when you did it. Yeah. Also, your military training was like how to disarm your own, whatever. It was very convenient. They just wanted to throw Xander a bone. Yeah, say he did something. Otherwise, he really did nothing being there. Yep. And then Dr. Engelman tells Riley to take Buffy to the stockade immediately. If, are they going to throw tomatoes at her in the aluminum room? <laughs> what, what is the stockade? That seems so different century. Well, a stockade is, is like a prison. But when I think, I think of that thing you like put your head and your hands through. Pillory? Google stockade. Okay, so we just Googled it, and you're right. Stockade is like an old term for like sort of like an impromptu wooden prison. And I guess they tended to have pillories on them because a pillory is the thing you put your arms and head through. I'm getting some suggestive photos, though, when I Google this. <laughs> what are they suggesting? Well, I mean, it's a lot of women in pillories. Mm, mm-hmm. Well, anyway. So what did this guy want? Yeah, we don't know. He does admit that Maggie wanted Buffy dead and that it was Maggie's own vendetta, not the initiative. Is that true, though? Like, he very much encouraged Maggie to get rid of Buffy. Well, I mean, it's probably a lie, but he also doesn't want to say, like, yeah, I wanted to kill Buffy. Yeah, unless the contingency plan that he suggested was something else and Maggie's just, like, sewer death trap was her own thing. Yeah, that's true. I think you're right, though. I I think he's just covering his own ass. But he finally tells them about 314 and that Adam escaped. Riley's freaking out. He's like, Maggie was just trying to help people. Maybe everything's fucked up because of you, Buffy. Buffy's like, shut up. Let's just look for clues and figure out what was in 314. And then a dead commando falls from above where Adam is standing. And then he just goes on like this long monologue about how he wants to learn about the world and how the insides of the Boy Meets World Boy were so beautiful. (laughs) 
But now he wants to learn about feelings and what he is exactly. And then he just starts inserting floppy disks into his little boob drive. God, it looks so antiquated now. <laughs> <laughs> he says he's a kinematically redundant biomechanical demonoid. Jesus, that must have taken him a while to memorize that line. <laughs> I want to see the outtakes of that. Yeah. I am a kinematic. Fuck. Fuck. You right. try saying it, Jaws. My boob hurts. All right, I got a floppy disk in there. Kinematically redundant biomechanical demonoid designed by Maggie Walsh. And that he was pieced together from parts of demons, machines, and human? That's maybe kind of terrifying for people like Riley. I mean, his face is clearly human. Yeah, maybe that's why they threw that in there. But it might mean that she's trying to make Riley and his friends into these types of things, too. Mm. You don't want to be kinematic. Not kinematically redundant, either. <laughs> And he's learned about his purpose and about Maggie's feelings from some of Maggie's writings that he's come across. And Riley's like, she wasn't your mother. She didn't love you. She's my mother. And she loved me more than she could ever love you. And she'd cradle me at night and sing to me and tell me I'm a big, strong boy. She'd do that to me now if she were here. I wish she were. He doesn't say all that, but that's the sentiment that's coming across. And then Adam puts a disc about Riley in his boob. And he says that Maggie made Riley too. And Riley's like, no, Maggie's not my mommy. I got a real mommy. I'm a boy with two mommies. <laughs> it's not that crazy. But I would take more mommies if they presented themselves. Buffy I love mommy. Buffy? Ma I need more mommies. More mommies. Adam's like, sure, sure. Maggie's the one who taught you, though, how to think and feel. She fed you chemicals to make you stronger. And she said that you and I were her favorites. Are you just being a bitch because your chemical feeding schedule's been interrupted? Or because you miss your mommy? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean that's sort of the sentiment. But I feel like he's, like, actually curious. He's not actually insulting him. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about this for a second. The for Watching this, it does seem very expositional, right? Like oh, the yeah. He just starts talking for, like, a while, and they let him. But... Given that he's, like, sort of a computer that's, like, learning about the world in real time, like, he was born yesterday, you know what I mean? Yeah. It isn't that absurd to me. Like, the hallway exposition between the two scientists, yes. But, like, I don't know that he wouldn't just say all these things as he's processing them. Yeah, that makes sense. So, like, it's weird that this is, like, the one time where I'm going to give the writers a pass. Be like, yeah, this robot dude might say all this shit. He just learned it himself. And they probably would be interested to know. As long as he's not, like, threatening them at the moment. Yeah, he has no fear of them whatsoever. Other villains are, like, you know, hubris that they told their plan. But Adam's like, yeah, I mean, you can't. I know I'm a fucking killing machine. Like, I'm fine. And I actually kind of liked how he was curious about Riley. Like, why are you upset? Like, the Terminator asking John Connor why he cries. The same kind of idea. Yeah. Adam seems to think that they are somehow related, like, brothers of, of sorts. But Riley's like, no, I'm not like you. I'll kill you. And Adam just says, you won't. <laughs> Love that. He says specifically that he can't because he's not programmed to. And Riley's like, what? No, I can't be programmed. I'm a man. And Adam's like, I don't know. I have Maggie's whole plan on this disc. I could just slide that right in my boob right now if you want me to. <laughs> Would you like that? <laughs> Riley's like, no. And he draws a gun on him. And then Adam just beats the shit out of everybody. Yeah. He throws Riley across the room. Buffy's no match for him. And you know Xander isn't faring well. And he stabs the doctor. Not really sure why. And then he says, thank you. This has been very interesting. And just leaves. I think he stabbed the doctor because the doctor does know stuff about him. Right. And it's possible the doctor could know kind of some kind of weakness he might have. Sure. Whereas Buffy and the others, he... I don't ever... It's interesting because, like, other villains, I'm always like, why didn't they just kill him? But he feel like this... Adam has no fear of any of them. 
he might want them alive just to find out more about them later or like because he did find their fight interesting and would like to repeat it yeah he maybe has no reason to kill riley if he does think that they're brothers well obviously familiar relationships do not matter to adam yeah that's true i don't know why he killed maggie to be honest i would say it might be the same thing where he's like maggie might know how to stop or kill me some commandos see all this from the window and the door, and they bust in after Adam leaves. Forrest is going to take Riley to a military hospital, and Buffy insists she wants to go with. He's like, no way. Bunch of them draw guns on her, and she reluctantly has to allow them to escort him away. Meanwhile, Spike has gone to Willie's for a big glass of Oneg, and he is not welcome there. He gets punched and thrown out. The other demons are not happy, because they hear he's friends with the Slayer now, and that he's been killing other demons. Since this messenger doesn't believe in killing demons, he doesn't kill Spike, but let this be a warning, essentially. At school, Buffy's telling Willow that she still hasn't heard anything from Riley, but she's worried about him. She's worried about Adam being out there. He seems kind of indestructible. And Willow points out there's got to be a flaw. And obviously, by Willow saying that there is one means there is some kind of weakness. I don't imagine Adam just keeps killing everybody for the next three seasons. No, he's in the comics much later, killing more people. Cool, cool. Maybe he turns good and hangs out with them like Spike. <laughs> Season five, they're like, why is he here? It's a long story. <laughs> we don't know. We like him. He's funny. I'm here to make fun of Riley. <laughs> but Buffy regrets letting them take Riley. Like you said, his whole world's been turned upside down. He's just like alone, doesn't know what to believe. And you kind of pointed out that Buffy maybe wouldn't have said something like this in earlier seasons. Just like her, her empathy showing some growth in her character. Yeah, you made fun of her earlier for like what she said to him, not listening to him. But I do feel like she does like a really good job of like empathizing with this guy and forgiving him for his errors because he's like fucked up right now. Yeah, in this moment. Yes. I don't know. I feel like it did show a lot of growth for Buffy. Compared to earlier in the episode or just earlier in the show? Earlier in the show, just as a person. It's just, I feel like she's being really empathetic. Mm -hmm. When she has every right to be like, dude, you've been crazy. Like, you almost shot a random woman in a bar. And then we see a quick glimpse of Riley alone in a hospital bed, holding on to the bandana that Buffy gave him for his hand. Does that mean he's holding on to Buffy? Does that mean he's holding on to the idea of hurting Buffy as soon as he gets out? We don't know. That's the end of the episode. Okay, Brian, was this a good one? Yeah, I think it was a good one just because it's so much plot, so it's, like, interesting. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of dumb things in the episode, too. Yeah. I would say it's pretty good. Yeah, I maybe liked other ones in this section of season four more. I don't know if I liked Riley's acting. Yeah. A lot of it was on him yeah. to really sell these emotions, and I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I hated that Willie scene, honestly. I thought that was bad. The scene where he's like in the balls room with Forrest. Yeah. He's like, I don't know. You're you're just crazy, man. It just felt so like forced and soap opera or like play acting almost. Sure, yeah. Maybe it wasn't great. I just like that we finally got like some chunks of plots and like finally we got to the Yeah, I'm interested in all the information. This marshmallows in the soup. What? I meant marshmallows in cereal, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> what did we get to? <laughs> okay. It sounds bad. Yeah, I make gross soup. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and the highlights are the marshmallows, which really tells you. Oof. I mean, when you're eating soup and there's like a lot of oats in it, you know, but you also have marshmallows. No, nobody knows what you're talking about. Move on to your next Lucky thought. Charms. <laughs> when you eat Lucky Charms. You think that's soup? No, I meant cereal. I keep saying soup, but I mean cereal. Okay. You know when you're having breakfast soup? <laughs> All right, I'm done. I really am happy we got some big chunks of plot, but it's not a great episode. For all the reasons you point out, you're right. It's a lot of exposition and a lot of Riley having emotions, which yeah. he's trying his best. But definitely a lot of things I'm interested to learn about going forward. Yeah. One of my favorite things in this season is going to be Adam's banter. 
Okay, he doesn't really seem like a... Exactly. Okay. It's very different than previous villains. All right. Like, previous villains like the Master were like, like, like thespians, almost. You know what I mean? The goddess of thespia? No, like, actors. Does Tara an actor? Yeah, that's the secret. <laughs> Just, I'm not really a witch. I'm an actor. My name's Amber Benson. <laughs> okay, should we move on? Yes. And now, for a special segment we like to call... Meanwhile, Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Stacy, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed Season 4, Episode 14, The Three Faces of Phoebe, Phoebe develops a case of cold feet over marrying Cole and casts a spell which brings a young, innocent Phoebe and an old, cynical Phoebe to the manor to help her make her decision. So this is sort of like an angel and demon on your shoulder kind of thing. Yeah, 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 classic uh, two people telling you what to do episode. So apparently her and Cole are getting married. Yeah. I don't think we knew that until we watched this episode. Then we knew. Yeah. Do you think this is the wedding day, or do you think this is... It's coming up. It's coming up. This okay. isn't the wedding. It doesn't happen in this episode. Right. We need to pick a tense, though, because we already have said we saw this episode. It was an unclear episode. And- I wasn't <laughs> sure if this was going to be the wedding episode. She was wearing a dress at the top. She was trying on her dress in the mirror. That's yeah. when this all started. Yeah, She's yeah. like, I didn't want to try my wedding dress. You know, like Gilmore Girls. Yeah. So she, of course, casts a spell. To, I don't know why she's bringing old and young versions of herself, though. Well, I'm guessing it was like a bit of a mistake. She was sort of like one to a pros and cons list, and she sort of summoned a pros and cons list in real life. So the young version of herself, I bet, has this like clear picture of the guy she wants to marry someday. Yeah. You know, blonde, stable, not a demon. Someone you can just hold hands with all the time, like couples do, forever. Yeah. And the old version of her isn't, like, actually, like, from the future, you know? Because that would just be like, well, I'm just going to ask her <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> everything. Should I do this? I think it's just sort of, like, a wiser version of her that's like, yeah, relationships suck after a while. You start farting in front of each other. Like the Oracle? Yeah. I mean, not that the Oracle farts in front of people, but, like, the Oracle kind of just, like, knows everything but doesn't really say what she means ever. Just, right. Like, and she does riddles. fart. I think that's in the fourth one. It's very... Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the younger one is just, like, very naive about everything. You know what I mean? It's like... No, relationships are great, and it's perfect. But Cole isn't the dream guy that Phoebe had when she was younger. Right. So she's she's struggling with that, because regular Phoebe shows the young one a picture, and she's like, oh, that is not who I thought we would be with. And it's funny, because at first, the younger one's all like, no, relationships are beautiful, and the cynical ones are like, no, relationships always turn bad. But towards the end of them talking, they kind of switch roles. Mm. The younger one's like, this isn't what I wanted at all. And the older one starts to be like, actually, this might work out. And then Cole comes in with a cup of Phoebe's favorite tea because he knew that's what she needed in this moment when she was stressed out. He didn't know why she was stressed. He didn't know she was doubting everything about him and their lives together. But then both see that this is the right guy because the old woman loves tea. Yeah. The young girl has just been thinking about getting into tea. <laughs> and even though he's not the guy she pictured, she's like, no, this, this guy makes us feel right. Yeah. The older one is like, he got rid of his demon heart. That guy knows how to compromise. And also she's like, if you're not going to marry him, I will. Because he is hot. H-O-T. So uh, Phoebe's decided she's going to marry Cole. Yeah. I mean, we knew she would. Yeah. Cole's perfect for her. Yeah, totally. In every way. He's a, From everything we've seen. Yeah. Giving up his demon life. He, he helps out around the house with their witch problems. He takes Leo out sometimes. Yeah. Plays with little Andy in the cupboard. He's a good guy all around. Yeah. I hope. Who knows? We'll find out. That old demon side, what could happen? This has been Meanwhile Uncharted. So, Brian, then we watched Gilmore Girls. Mm -hmm. What is The Incredible Singing Lorelai's about? 
So this episode is about Lorelai and Rory, two Lorelai's, uh, having their whole lives fall apart around them and just like being sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it, pretty much. Failing. There's a third Lorelai in this episode. Yeah, but... Is she sinking? Uh, probably inside. Okay. The episode opens on the inn where Lorelai and Suki are meeting their perspective in horses. They love their inn horses, but I still don't understand why they want horses for their inn. I know I keep saying this, but like... Why does an inn need horses? The charm, the character. It's just like so much money for something that like, no one's like, can't choose between these two inns in Stars Hollow. One has horses, one doesn't. It's just not a thing. I think because they have stables. It was, I don't know. But you could also start the inn without the horses, and then once you're in the black again, get horses. Yeah, I mean, the episode specifically is like, ooh, maybe we shouldn't get the horses. Lorelai calls Rory to tell her that she's got to ride these horses despite a bad experience she had with a horse that sort of like fell over or whatever a little bit when Rory was young. So Lorelai says that it's an old pony, which at first I was like, how can a pony be old? But then I remembered that ponies are a different thing than a horse. A baby horse is a foal. Yeah, I didn't know that. I thought it was just a pony with like an old soul. No, pony's just a small horse and it can have an old soul. It's up to the pony. Well, Lorelai calls Rory, but Rory doesn't pick up. So she leaves a message. And this becomes a running theme of the episode. Rory and Lorelai are playing phone tag back and forth, but they're never able to actually reach each other, despite, like, really desperately wanting to talk to each other. Yeah, I thought it was kind of a cool format. I do, too. I don't know that we've seen an episode where they haven't physically interacted. Right. Also, their newly installed landline rings, and they get the inn's first reservation. Mm. Yeah, uh, they were not ready for it at all, so they had to write the reservation down quickly on, like, a gum wrapper. This was all pretty funny and cute, honestly. Yeah. And it was, like, emotional. Lorelai stares at her first reservation, and then the emotional Lala start playing. As Michelle and Sugi are bickering over whether or not it's okay that they wrote their first <laughs> reservation on a gum yeah. wrapper. I think it's cute. Yeah. At Yale, Rory's leaving a message on her mom's voicemail. The horse she rode as a child actually died and was dragged away by its hind legs, so, you know, Rory's a bit traumatized. Yeah. At her dorm, she runs into Lane. Lane is still staying with her since her mom kicked her out. And Lane mentions that Rory has been burning herself out in schoolwork and isn't getting enough sleep and that her brain needs rest. Rory brushes this all off and says she's just going to take a quick, less than 15-minute nap before her game theory class, which starts very soon. Too short of a nap. This is our first clue this episode that Rory is really struggling with her course load. I will say, though, in college, I took all kinds of, like, little power naps. That's what this episode's about, guys. Power naps. (laughs) I wasn't a big napper. I would nap, like, in the library for, like, ten minutes between classes. Honestly, it was a lifesaver. You just wake up slightly refreshed and, like, more focused. I did sleep through most of my government class senior year. <laughs> I meant between classes. I was not the kind of person that fell asleep in class, but this teacher I had for government was, you know, those, like, sleep meditation things you can put on. It's like a little story that'll just make you fall asleep because it's so boring. Yeah. That was this guy. He would just, like, <laughs> drone on and on about government. I don't know how he thought anyone was paying attention. Probably because they paid for the class. It was not interactive. (laughs) It was just, I couldn't stay awake. My last year in high school, my first class was an astronomy class. And we had, it was really cool. We had a little planetarium at our school. They could project the stars and stuff. I slept through that every single time. There was no way not to fall asleep. It was nighttime. It was first class. This class, you could just read the the text and pass the tests and quizzes, no problem. So I was like, all right, I'll go to class, but it's nap time. Well, same with astronomy. It's like nothing's changed, guys. Uh, the planets are where they are. Actually, we did have to learn about what people used to think, which is interesting, but we're off topic. Yeah. Tana, meanwhile, is in the dorm and is really enjoying uh, soldering in the common room. Uh, like, she's probably high off the fumes, I think is the suggestion. Yeah. Uh, Rory's like, uh, you need to take a break. 
Paris is being aggressively passive aggressive about <laughs> Janet's boyfriend staying over too much, which uh, I feel like sort of hints at the problem with Lane coming up. Yeah. But also specifically how big he is. Yeah, she just keeps making fun of his size. I mean, it's, it is funny, but <laughs> she refers to his left behind shirt as like a car cover. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And she's got good jokes, but it is like, okay, she can have her boyfriend over. Yeah, and also like, he can't help that he's big. He's just like a big, strong dude. Also like, I know we've talked about the dorm sizes in both of these shows. It's the big place. Yeah. Janet has her own room. It's not like Janet's sharing a room with Paris and this guy is in her space. Yeah, and he's not like being like creepy. He's just a big dude. There's plenty of room for everyone. She says later he like left a sinkhole in the couch. That's maybe fair. Yeah. It's also not your couch, Paris. Paris also tells her to can it, Blondie, but isn't she also blonde? Yeah. So, okay. Janet thinks Paris is doing all of this out of jealousy because she doesn't have a boyfriend. And uh, Paris can't really respond to that given that she's secretly dating a professor, Asher Fleming. She later mentions to Rory that only she and Rory know about it, which isn't true because Lane knows, Rory told her. And also because, you know, they're making out all the time on campus. So I wouldn't be surprised if someone didn't also know that. Rory is now an official food hall card swiper. Mm, I forgot that completely. Yeah, later when she's on the job, desperately trying to study, swipe, and stay awake, Glenn stops by. He's the weird guy who's always complaining and upset about everything. He complains that Rory's ignoring him while trying to swipe his card, and she says sorry, and he's like, yeah, everyone's going to be sorry. Everybody. Whoa. Which is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little school shootery, Glenn. Listen, I expect that from Doyle, okay? We saw what happened at Sunnydale, but an <laughs> <laughs> earshot. But that was, it's like, that's the thing. Like, okay, cool. I got to report you now? Yeah. Everyone's going to be sorry? That's terrifying, Glenn. He needs to be on a list, but honestly, he probably already is on a list. Dean calls. Um, His face just looks different now. He's getting like... Older man expanding face syndrome, that I think. That actor is definitely going through a face metamorphosis at yeah. some point in his life. He looks much different now than he did season one and two. And it's beginning here in season four, I think. I feel like every season he looks considerably different. He doesn't look bad as an adult, but his face shape is just like very different now. No, yeah, I'm not saying he gets ugly. I'm just saying every season it's like Dean is evolved a little bit. We kind of just brush past expanding face syndrome. It, just check it out. Older men, actors, look when they're younger. Their face just gets, like, wider. Yeah, Something happens to men's faces. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like maybe it has some, happens to some women, but, like, just look at any actor man. Like, by the time he's, like, 50, his face is, like, three times bigger. Almost regardless of weight gain. It's just the face gets bigger. Yeah, it's weird. Dean had early onset face expanding <laughs> syndrome. <laughs> yeah. But even though he's got a different face, he's still wearing his same corduroy jacket. He's poor. He's calling because Tom, the grumpy construction manager, has offered him a job on his construction crew. But that would mean that he would be working at the inn and maybe running into Rory. And he wasn't sure if not coming to the wedding was an indication that Rory didn't want to see him. He didn't know where they stood after her non-appearance. She tells him to take the job. He'd be great at it. I'm sure that won't come into play. He also got a cell phone. Yes, a family plan with his wife. Very 2004 to yeah. get a cell phone. Also, when Murray hangs up, there's just like a whole line of people. Yeah. Just waiting for her to be done with her personal call. She's not good at this job. <laughs> they had like started swiping on their own at some point. I don't know why they didn't keep doing that. Probably because they'd have to walk in front of her and that wouldn't be good for the shot. Yeah, 100%. Cut to Lorelai and Jason having their post-coitus phone calls. Yeah. Jason is on the phone with work once again and Lorelai is on the phone with in paint detail people. 
It's not clear who she's on the phone Tiles, with. Tiles, I think? Yes. This is also kind of cool. It's kind of like how the whole episode is phone tag. This was just like two phone conversations happening at the same time about different things. Yeah, and they had a, they did a good job of like staggering the dialogue while making it seem organic, I felt like. Yeah. And in reality, Jason would just go to a different room. Yeah. <laughs> you can't like yell into a phone while you're in the same room as someone else on the phone. After the phone calls, they're about to bone again. Round two, when Emily calls, boner killer Emily. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lorelai answers only because she's dying to talk to Rory and she thinks it might be Rory. Well, unless you're Riley. Riley would like a mother calling in the middle of sex. <laughs> yeah, you know what gets me raring to go? Looks like Trix is coming for lunch. She wants to meet Jason. Emily stresses that she wants Lorelai to be there and also to get her hair cut because it looked terrible last time. Specifically that if she doesn't, somehow it will reflect badly on Emily. <laughs> yeah. If you guys don't remember, I'm sure you do remember, Emily and her mother-in-law, Trix, do not get along. Trix is super mean to Emily all the time. Later at the inn, Lorelai is on the phone again, desperately trying to squeeze in an appointment to get her hair cut when she notices Dean is there. Since she keeps missing Rory's calls, she didn't know that Dean was going to start working at the inn. Then they, like, have a weird flirtation, honestly. Like, what the fuck is going on with these two? Are the actors fucking? I don't know. There's just, like, a vibe here that they are going to kiss or something. I don't know that it was supposed to be, but Dean's like, your hair looks fine to me. (laughs) Yeah, smile, smile, smile. What do you think of my new adult face? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I'm into families now. Suki is very excited about all the new pipes and kitchen stuff at the inn. It's important to note here that Lorelai canceled some plans and appointments to be at the inn to receive the pipes. Suki could not cancel plans, so she had done her part. Suki does mention that she's going to be there in a couple days when the sink gets dropped off. Yes, it's her sink. She's got to approve it. Tom then excuses all the workers from the room for a minute because he has some important stuff to talk to the women about. Tom looks very uncomfortable. He mentions that he really likes them a lot, and he thinks they've been really awesome and understanding as clients, and he likes that they smell good. So, you know, Tom is canceled. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Kidding. But he just hasn't received any payment from them for the last couple of weeks. As grumpy as Tom is, he's being, like, very understanding right now. Yeah, he was a sweetie pie. Yeah, he really wants to work this out with them. But Suki is, like, freaking out, and I do not blame her. Right. Lorelai not telling Suki that she's been unable to pay their construction workers is sort of a big betrayal of trust. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised she hadn't told her. It sounded like she maybe had a plan to fix it and it didn't work. Her new plan was to think of a way to tell Suki eventually. And Tom, she was like trying to get a line of credit, she said, and it didn't go through. Yeah, Tom, though, is being super understanding, like I said. Lorelai says she'll figure something out, and Tom says because he really likes them, he won't shut everything down, and he'll keep working for a while, as long as he can keep the men coming in. But if he's not paying them, they're they're not going to keep coming in. Yeah, that's the issue. He can't pay the guys. Maybe Tom's got, like, some money. He can just keep paying the guys, even though she's not paying him. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, as much as he's grumpy, it's like, well, he's trying (laughs) to make it work. Yeah. She is very thankful and wants to hug him, but he says he'd rather if she just whistle him later to make the other guys jealous, I guess. There's a couple mentions of the guys think Lorelai's pretty. Yeah. Well, she is. And she smells so good. Yeah. It's it's hard being a construction worker these days when you have these beautiful, wonderful smelling women walking around and you can't say anything, you know? I feel so bad. It's tough. We're canceled. Uh, Suki says that she doesn't need her French stove. She can cut corners. She doesn't have to have it. But Lorelai insists that she does. She's always wanted one. It's her dream. It's an important. She has just as many photos of it in her wallet as her family. Yeah. Lorelai finally suggests that maybe they don't need to get the horses. Maybe just one of the horses. But Suki doesn't want to get rid of the horses. She's like, we need them. There's a funny Sophie's Choice joke here. 
They decide Lorelai could ask Luke for the money since, you know, he's offered before. And she's like, oh, as a last resort. I feel like we're at last resort. Like, where else are you going to get the money? Yeah. The I bank mean, already said no. Grandma? I can't imagine she would go over her parents' head because it would get back to them. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, I'm surprised that's not where this goes. Yeah. At least not in this episode. At Yale, the feud between Paris and Janet escalates when her boyfriend is over one night waiting for her to get ready. His name is Clee? I guess maybe that's his last name. I, I think it's, like, part of his last name. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Paris calls him Andre, but I think that's a joke about him being giant. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, he is about as dumb as Paris suggests, though. It was funny. They had this whole long back and forth clever fight between Paris and Janet, and then he's just like, yeah. <laughs> She's like, great. Great addition, buddy. You mentioned this, but she keeps making fun of how big a depression he left in the couch. And it's all mean, but, like, honestly, it's pretty funny. She's like, kids are skateboarding up and down it. Gandalf the Grey is still falling down it, <laughs> which we get it, Amy. You love Lord of the Rings. Love it. Try to sneak in a uh, reference to it every single episode. Unclear how they feel about Star Trek. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Janet just keeps saying that this is all out of jealousy and Paris is just going to be a spinster. She might as well just go put her spinster dress on. Paris storms out of the room. Lane follows her and says she hates when they fight. She hates that Janet keeps saying this is out of jealousy when she knows it's not. Paris should just tell her about the professor. Uh, This doesn't go great. Paris thought only Rory knew about Asher, so this is a problem. She rushes off to the dining hall to confront a card swiping Rory. Paris says that Lane has got to go. She's blabbing too much about their secret. And also the other roommates want her gone too. Rory also insists she's only told Lane, but she has also told her mother. Right. And Paris is like, who else did you tell? She doesn't say she told her mom, which I thought maybe might come back to bite her, but I don't know if we're just supposed to forget about that or, like, if that doesn't really matter. I feel like her mom wouldn't blab it, though. Right. But Rory also points out she told Lane before Lane was, like, part of the Yale world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, rewatching the episode, I have to say, well, I, I will say that early in the episode, Paris makes a point of saying, only you and I know. And at that point, Rory could say, well, actually, Lane knows too. Yeah, yeah. But also, you're right. Lane found out about this before Paris confided in Rory. Yeah, I don't think you could blame Rory for telling Lane. Because Rory knew the secret for the longest time before Paris told her. And Paris has been like every episode like, and there's another guy, by the way. Certain other fella. And like I said, she's making out with him like on school grounds constantly. So anybody could have found out any number of ways. Yeah. However... Fuck Rory for letting Lane stay this long. I mean, I agree. I feel like it is too long. Oh, so Paris tells Rory that she doesn't like Lane being here, right? Yeah. She's like, I know she's like your best friend from home and you used to like hold hands and skip through flowers together. I didn't say this before, but in Buffy, when Buffy's talking about how Riley was supposed to be like a normal boyfriend, she's like, we were supposed to do boring things like hold hands and skip through flowers together. I didn't even catch that. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Rory does not believe her, but when she brings this up to Tana and Janet, they say it's true. They like Lane, they like her way more than Paris, but Lane doesn't go to the school, and she's been there a lot, and there's a lot of people in this dorm, so it's very crowded. And you and I have lived in an apartment in New York with five people, and it is crowded. That was a big apartment. That was a big apartment. I feel like this scene was weird. Rory approached it very weirdly, like... In denial, sort of. But it almost felt like she knew they didn't like it, but she was trying to, like, tell them. them. Yeah. She's Mm -hmm. like, Paris says you guys don't like Lane here, but that's not true, right? You love that she's here. (laughs) It was just, like, very 
gaslighty. And also she like stresses stuff like, of course you guys like her because she's rarely around and she's always cleaning the bathroom and bringing you coffee. Yeah. So you better say that you love her. <laughs> yeah. I, I took it like Rory was trying to convince them they were wrong. Yeah. Not like, no way you guys don't like her. She's so great. Yeah. I sort of took it as like they may have complained about this, but like upon realizing all these facts, they would never admit to it. Like, Don't you dare admit to it. Yeah. But they do. She takes this all right. She goes and breaks the news to Lane. Lane kind of figured it out. Yeah, I mean, how long did, was she going to stay there? It's honestly a bit ridiculous. Yeah. Like, it is a big-ish place, but, like, you can't just squat somewhere without paying rent for, like, weeks. And she's she is 18. Yeah. So, like, really, it's like, well, you need to get an apartment then, I guess, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's not great. It's sad, but... They are sad to have to leave, though. Yeah. Rory tells Lane that she brought Stars Hollow here. And I think this is important because Lane is sort of her, like, support network right now, especially since she can't get a hold of her mother. Yeah, that's, like, maybe all that was holding her together. Yeah. Meanwhile, Lorelai is getting her hair cut. She managed to squeeze in an appointment. And then she gets a call from the people delivering the sink. Suki, as we know, is supposed to be there to receive it, but she isn't. Lorelai calls Suki, can't get a hold of her, and here's, like, a half-hour-long voicemail message, which is super funny when you compare it to Rory's, like, very basic voicemail mm-hmm. message. It's <laughs> like, talk, please. Yeah, but, like, Suki and Jackson's is, like, long, and the baby's part of it, and it's, it's, it's very long. It was kind of annoyingly long as a viewer. <laughs> yeah. Lorelai tries to call Michelle as well, but he is at work and admiring Celine Dion, who just came in. And I have to say that she actually came in to 30 Rock one time. What? Yeah. Oh, by the way, Brian works in the 30 Rock building. That's not just like a random fact. Yeah, by the way, one time she was at 30 Rock. That's what I heard. I, I don't do anything exciting at 30 Rock, so it sounds like an exciting place to work, but it's not. Well, for some people it is, but not for Yeah, you, there are very fun jobs there, I'm sure. I did not see her, but some of my coworkers did, and they all commented about how like beautiful she was. Oh. They were like, yeah, she was just like glowing. I was like, okay. But poor Michelle has a pimple. They were two gay men. I don't know if that means anything. About Michelle? No, about love for Celine Dion and how beautiful she is. I think she's a gay icon. Yeah, I don't know. Is she? Well, Michelle likes her. But Michelle is not labeled as gay yet. In fact, he's labeled as not gay so far in the show. Exactly. We'll get there because I understand that that's going to change at some point. <laughs> Lorelai goes to Suki's to confront her. Suki has been up all night with the baby and accidentally fell asleep and slept in. That's why she missed the appointment. She's very apologetic, but, like, Lorelai's not having it. She's just like, I'm doing everything. Like, I've canceled my appointments. I needed you to be there for this. They had to pay extra to have the sink returned to Canada when no one showed up to get it. And then they're going to have to pay extra to have it sent back. So she's just, like, stressed out, and she feels like she doesn't really have a partner in this. By the way, when confronting Suki, she mentions that the person on the phone about the sink sounded like a Kids in the Hall character. For which no is, reason. Right. Like, we didn't hear their voice. Yeah, or even hear what they were talking about, really. Maybe there's something about Kids in the Hall I don't know why that makes sense as a joke. Well, it's hilariously meta, though, since their old night manager, Tobin, Tobin. is an actor from Kids in the Hall. Very weird. So, I don't know if it was, like, just a funny bit for them on set or right. what. Suki defends herself by saying that she's got a baby and raising a baby is tough. She didn't know she'd have a baby when they decided to do this in stuff. Is that true? They've been trying to get pregnant like immediately. Four and four, baby. You know what? I don't think that's true. She found out she was pregnant at the other inn. Just like, remember she was, the food didn't taste good? That's right. So they still had the other inn. I mean, they wanted their own inn the whole time, but like the other one hadn't burned down yet. You're absolutely right. So she knew. She's a liar. She's gaslighting Lorelai. Another connection to Buffy. 
Suki specifically is like, this isn't the stuff that I help with. My part comes later. I don't know. That's maybe shitty because they are like partners starting a new business. Just because you're like the star of the show later doesn't mean you don't have to help now. Yeah. And the thing is, too, it's like, well, waiting to verify the sink you will be using is your part. It's tricky because Suki does have a baby and Lorelai is just like alone and an empty nester right now. But like, I don't know. Suki maybe is being a little irresponsible in this case. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a kid and I understand it's tough, so I, I can't really speak to it. But it's messed up that she missed the appointment, especially because like once she found out she missed it, she was like, ah, eh, it's no big deal. Tom could have signed for it when they like specifically said he could not. Right. She just like forgot all that kind of airheady mistake. Mm hmm. Which Lorelai's called her out for in the past and, like, not being very responsible when it comes to stuff like that. And Suki's mentioned, though, that, like, that's not really her skill set. Yeah. Like, managerial stuff is not what she's good at. So now Lorelai has lost her support system. Yep. Good catch. Suki. At Luke's, Lane shows up and asks him for her old job back. He agrees. It's really busy, and this is funny because there's a guy there that's like, I've been waiting 10 minutes, and Luke's like, sorry, that's not even close to the record. <laughs> And when Lane asks if she should clock in now, that guy is like, yes. <laughs> it's all very funny. And then when Lane leaves, she's like, see you later. And that guy's like, oh, we'll be here. <laughs> yeah. uh, on her way out, though, she runs into Lorelai, who's on her way in. And she thanks her for letting her stay at her place. Lorelai's like, oh, you're staying at my place? And checks her voicemail. Sure enough, Rory's like, hey, Lane's staying with us. Lorelai asks Luke uh, if they can have dinner to discuss something, the loan she's going to ask him for. He's all like, sure. It's it's kind of weird. I don't know why she can't. He's like, we just do it here. She's like, no, we got to go out to eat. I, I don't think you need to go out to eat. To probably an expensive restaurant that she can't afford to go to. Exactly. It's sort of like, no, just meet with him here after hours or something. Like, he's your best friend. Whatever. Then Lane runs into her mother on the street. Mrs. Kim says, hello, Lane. And then Lane says, hello, Mrs. Kim. <laughs> Which is cold, right? <laughs> like It was weird. I was like, do you always call her that? Or is this like a fuck you, mom? She always calls her mama. Yeah, so I felt like that was, like, pretty cold. It didn't have, like, a fuck you tone, though. It was kind of just, like, I'm scared of you right now. Yeah, but I, I don't know. If I called my mom Mrs. Morris, it's like, oh, there's beef. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, Mrs. Kim tries to walk away, but then Lane was like, I'm staying at Lorelai's. I'm guessing to let her know she's in town or she's safe. Yeah. And Mrs. Kim just says, wear socks. <laughs> Is it dirty there or what? I guess because it's so cold there. I don't know. She's probably heard all oh, about it. Oh, yeah, maybe. I thought it because it was dirty. Yeah, maybe it could be. Uh, one is kind of a mean thing to Lorelai and one is kind of sweet to Lane. <laughs> yeah. Back at Yale, Rory's meeting with her game theory professor. She's there under the false pretense of an error in her note she wants to clear up. But what she really wants is a bunch of praise from her professor about how great her paper was. Because she's sure she aced it. The professor sees through this immediately and just pulls out her paper. But his feedback isn't what she expected. He says it's clear that she padded her paper with a bunch of research from her other classes that wasn't really relevant to his class. And that honestly, it's a D paper. I feel like I did this once. Yeah? You know what I think I did? I think I took a paper that I wrote in high school and just turned it in as a college paper. Maybe I changed work. it a little. I was going to look, but all my college homework is on like a different hard drive. I feel like it did though. I had a different experience, like kind of the reverse experience one time. I had a paper I did not finish on time, uh, and I did not turn it in, and then I finished it over the weekend, and on Monday I showed up to the professor's office hours to, like, ask him about my grade, knowing I had not turned it in. I had it in my backpack, and I was going to say, what do you mean? I, I turned it in. I can he'll get it to you right now. It was sort of like a last ditch, like, maybe he'll accept it late because somehow it disappeared, even though I thought I had turned it in. Yeah. Why else would I be there to discuss my grade? And I'm so ready for this big lie to get my paper to him, and then he's like, oh, yeah, your paper, you got an A. 
And I was like, mm, I didn't, though. Because you literally hadn't done it. <laughs> Did you not grade the papers? <laughs> so I don't know. I, then I just sort of just like walked away like, cool, thanks, man. Because I'm not going to like argue. Like, that's impossible, professor. That's so, the end of that story? Yeah. So he just wasn't reading the papers. I'm guessing, yeah. I'm guessing he just like gave people grades based on what he thought they deserved in class. I don't know. Weird. Was that him being like, what's his reaction going to be? And I just, he did not expect me to not call him on? I don't know. But I got an A on a paper that, honestly, I did do, but never turned in. You just did it late. Yeah. Uh, which is the opposite of this reaction. Yeah. The professor goes on to say that he talked to Rory's advisor and went over her class schedule. And they both agree that it looks like Rory is simply taking too many classes. She's got too much workload. He says that this is a common mistake freshmen make. And he also thinks that she should just maybe drop his course. Rory gets really defensive and says that her grandfather took the same course load and she should be able to do that too. And the professor's like, don't compare yourself to anybody else. People work at different paces and you just work at a slower pace than your grandfather. Which is, you know, a painful thing to hear. Yeah. This sounds mean, but I honestly feel like the professor's just telling her the truth, and sometimes truth hurts. Yeah, he's like, it's not a big deal. This is, like, a normal thing. Yeah, he makes it clear that it, this happens all the time. I kind of want to know, like, how many classes is Paris taking? Like, yeah. she's dating a professor. She's got a lot going on in her personal life that Rory doesn't have going on. So, yeah. like, is she keeping up? Is she not taking as many classes as Rory? Right. Well, I, I also wonder, too, like, she compares herself to her grandfather, but there's probably, like, all kinds of other differences, too. Like, maybe her father took different classes. Yeah, yeah. You that, and I were saying we took, like, five, six classes. Well, we didn't take Yale classes, to Right, be fair, exactly. To be fair. And I did have a struggle with keeping up in college a little bit, and my school was, like, not a hard school. Yeah. I just had a lot of time-consuming art project classes for my design degree. I think especially your freshman year, it's almost like take fewer credits just to get into the swing of things. Yeah. And then you'll be better prepared for your sophomore year. But also, like, maybe the school was different when your grandfather took it or the teachers were different. They, like, assigned different stuff. Who knows? So it's finally time for that dinner with tricks. Lorelai shows up wearing the same pink jacket from a few episodes ago. So we know that times are financially pretty tough for her. <laughs> and it's a great coat. It is a great coat. But she's always got so many. Emily is stressed as hell because she's been alone with Trix for two hours. I can only imagine what that was like. She, like, rips the coat off of Lorelai. <laughs> yeah. Trix immediately hates Lorelai's hair, but blames Emily, as Emily suggested would happen. Mm -hmm. Trix's bitchy level is dialed up to, like, a thousand percent. I can call her her a bitch, right? I mean, she she is, right? I think she's designed to be a bitch. Yeah. She's, like, cartoonishly mean to Emily. If if that word was ever designed to be used, it was for Trix in this episode. It's so funny. It is so funny, man. Almost every sentence she utters, like, disparages Emily somehow. The hair thing, she's like, I know my granddaughter. If she had had enough time, she would have got her hair fixed. And Lorelai's like, you know, I actually, I did have enough time. It's not Emily's fault. She's like, oh, you're so good to defend your mother. <laughs> the maid brings out a bowl of nuts that Trix had wanted. And Emily's like, mom, the nuts are here. And Trix, like, can't get over how excited Emily was for the nuts. Yeah. She's like, thank you, Emily, for that announcement. How wonderful that you don't need some sort of amplification system to ensure that everyone in the area is informed about the arrival of the nuts. <laughs> She just keeps mentioning Emily's enthusiasm for these nuts the entire dinner. Oh, yeah. Richard comes in. Yeah. She's like, would you like a nut? They seem to be very important to your wife. <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, Lorelai mentions having a cloaking device twice, which is a Star Trek reference. She's made fun of people on more than one occasion for liking Star Trek. It goes deeper than that. 
Yeah. Two episodes ago, Jason specifically mentioned, like, barring the invention of a cloaking device. Yes. He and Lorelai couldn't hide this from her parents. And now she's saying he should have had a cloaking device or, like, she had her cloaking device activated. So either this is, like, a great callback to that. Like, she listened to Jason and learned that he's into cloaking device jokes. Right. Or they, like, forgot they just spoke about how Lorelai doesn't like Star Trek. Because she made fun of him in that episode for that reference. Yeah. So it's either great or bad (laughs) that this is brought up. Totally. Uh, But I would, yeah, that's true. We'll see if they do this more often. Richard, by the way, has grown a mustache. Oh, yeah. Trix loves it. Emily doesn't seem to love it. Emily thinks it's a cry for help. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, it makes him look like a cocaine dealer. Richard introduces Jason to Trix. And she's like, you're so young. Jason's like, oh, no, I'm not that young. And Emily's like, for God's sakes, Jason, just be young. (laughs) So funny. Because she's like, I think I can tell when someone's young. Mm -hmm. Jason uh, brought a present for Trix. And she gives him all kinds of shit for buying this for her. She's like, you're buying a woman you don't know a present for no reason? (laughs) She, like, is kind of mean to him about the entire episode. So I don't know. I predict that Jason and Emily are going to bond eventually over this mutual being hated by Trix. We'll see. It's very funny how Jason is, like, cowering, too. (laughs) Yeah. He's just, like, doesn't know what to say when she presses him about the gift. Yeah. He's like, it's a book on French antiques. I heard you like those. She's like, I "I do. do. I do like those. (laughs) Still weird. You got me a gift. Trix is just so unbelievably mean about Emily's, like, dinner timing. She has been in the past, but she is just, like, over the top in this episode. Emily's doing everything she can to make things right for Trix. She's, like, begging her to let her go check on the food uh, in the kitchen, and Trix is like, oh, I don't want you to disturb your cook. She's obviously in the middle of a crossword puzzle right now. (laughs) Trix then starts grilling Lorelai about her inn and its expensive. She somehow can just tell that Lorelai is in financial trouble from her eyes, I guess, and just calls her out in front of everybody. Harshly, she says that she looks like she's failing. Trix says that this is actually Richard's fault because it's a family's responsibility to make sure financial troubles like this don't happen because it looks bad on the Gilmore name. She also mentions that she helped Richard when he was in financial peril and she saved him from losing his house. Richard finally gets upset about this and starts to tell Trix off. Do you think it's because she brought up their family reputation? I feel like that's what triggers him. Well, I think we need to talk about this for a second. That's why we're here, baby. (laughs) Yeah. So Richard, like, doesn't have a problem with tricks shitting all over his wife constantly. He loves it. He will laugh at something like it was a little joke, you know? Like, oh, you're being so bad, mom. But, like, I feel like it's, and we've mentioned this before, but, like, at some point it's like he's disparaging your wife a lot and it's making your wife unhappy. And we know you want your wife to be happy. You've said that. So, like, you should confront your mother about it. It isn't until she specifically says, like, hey, I helped you out one time, that she specifically insults Richard that he gets upset. Mm -hmm. It's not even the Gilmore name. It's like, you know, I helped out you when you needed it. And he's like, well, how dare you bring up that time you helped me out? I don't even think it's a Gilmore name thing or it's a Lorelai thing. I think he doesn't get mad at tricks until she specifically offends him. Which I don't know if that's the intention of the writing here, but like, I don't, it doesn't put Richard in a good light. Honestly, I feel like we're supposed to find what he's doing good, but like, I'm like, you waited until it was about you to like respond. He definitely doesn't care when she says stuff about Emily, but I I do think it's coupled with the reputation of the Gilmore family. Because he's like, Lorelai's a grown woman. Why should I help her? And it might also be touchy because Lorelai's like made it very clear that she doesn't need their help or want their help. Like she wants to be independent. So Mm -hmm. maybe part of it's why he's being defensive. Yeah. Because like Lorelai's rejected their help on several occasions. Yeah, I mean, that might be coupled with it. But, I mean, there's just no getting around that he has let them shit all over his wife. Right. 
But there is also precedent for Richard getting upset when someone tries to throw shade on the Gilmore family name. I mean, is she throwing shade on the family name or saying that he needs to live up to the family name? I think he's, she's saying he's not doing a good job making the family honorable. And he doesn't like that because he takes pride in making sure their name stays good. He tried to do the right thing when Lorelai got pregnant. Uh, There's been other times. I don't, I don't know that I agree with you. Because he defends himself. He never once says, like, we're doing right by the name. How dare you insult the name? The only thing he gives her any crap for is insulting him for loaning him money. Yeah. I think he's just trying to say, I'm doing my best. I agree, but it, it, I don't know. It doesn't say anything about the Gilmore name. I, I don't know. I, I think the way it's written, it could be interpreted that it's lumped in with the family name stuff. Whatever the case, he just, like, starts snapping at tricks. He says that, like, yes, she loaned him money when he made a financial mistake when he was 27, when he was young, when you're supposed to take big risks like that. And that since then, he's created two extremely successful businesses without any of her help. And he paid back his debt to her very quickly. So how much financial ruin must he have been in if he was able to pay her back in two months? During all of this, Emily is, like, eating this up. She is in heaven right now. (laughs) She's so excited. She is smiling ear to ear. She might as well be clapping with excitement. She loves it. It's so funny, too, because, like, she's, like, telling Richard stuff. Like, remember, tell her you paid it back in two months. The maid comes in with some of the food and was like, no, not now. (laughs) (laughs) That was all so funny. At some point, finally, Trix has had enough. She's like, well, I'm leaving. And Richard's like, let me help you with your chair, which is fancy people speak for. Don't let the door hit you on the butt on your way out. This scene was very pleasurable to watch. I loved it. Yeah, Brian had a boner. (laughs) Yeah, and you were like, do you want me to help you with the boner? I was like, not now. (laughs) Let me just enjoy this. We overshare. Yeah, we do. Uh That same night, presumably at the inn, Rory shows up to talk to her mom because she's very upset about Yale and hasn't been able to reach her to talk about it. And she doesn't have Lane to talk to about it either. I'm a little confused about time because it is now dark, but this thing with tricks was lunch. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it has to be happened simultaneously. Well, like, Rory, I assume, would have gone to her mom's house to try to find her and she wasn't in Stars Hollow. I think when Lorelai eventually comes back to Stars Hollow, she's just coming back. Unless she hung out with Jason or something? Yeah, that's true. It's not clear where she is during that time. It's maybe winter, so it's like four or something. Well, maybe Rory did stop home and she just missed her and then went to the inn. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Lorelai isn't at the inn, but Rory does run into Dean and then just starts to spiral. Dean can tell that she's upset and takes her outside, away from the construction crew. Two seconds later, she's like crying in his arms. Now that Lane is gone and she can't get hold of her mom, Rory is totally lost at sea. She feels like she's messing everything up and just like failing at life. She keeps saying that she's just a failure. Dean's like, you're not a failure. He's like holding her while she just starts crying. I thought she acted good here. I think that her crying was was done well. Previously, okay. I didn't like it. And I know some people say that uh, Alexis Blackadal Balalevich, she doesn't cry well, but I thought she did great here. I don't know. I think her acting is on par with Mark Blucas. <laughs> <laughs> They should do a scene together and just see what happens. <laughs> People do talk about how she's a bad crier. I don't know if it specifically is the scene. There's one much further in the future that people really hate. I don't know. I believed it in this one. I will say, though, this scene, uh, it just raises so many red flags for me, story-wise. Why? Not like bad stuff. Like, Dean is comforting her, and I don't think that he's wrong to do that, you know? Like, she's crying, and she's like your old friend. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's like a cheating thing either, like, as long as he tells his wife. Like, hey, I saw Rory, and she was crying. Uh, I just want you to let you know that that I was, like, I don't know if you can say I'm holding her, but, uh, I mean, I would feel uncomfortable if a guy was holding you like this. Yeah. 
that's a different situation. You but. do kind of get the vibe he would kiss her if she went for it, too. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about that the whole scene. He's, like, got this look, like, are we going to kiss? Yeah. Or, like, I, but or part can of I kiss like, your mom? <laughs> yeah. I just need a Gilmore. Tricks available? I could wear a tracksuit. <laughs> I really feel like Rory is getting too close to Dean and there's going to be something that happens between them, even though he's got somebody else. I feel like Jess came back and like stirred up her love emotions and then left. So she's upset about that. She doesn't have Lane and she doesn't have her mom right now. She's missing that like sense of security and familiarity. And I think she's going to fall back into Dean's arms quite literally as she is here, but also emotionally. I think she's going to do something with Dean. Finger stuff. I just don't feel like Dean would be around if that wasn't going to happen. Why put him here if this isn't going to happen? Finger stuff isn't cheating if you're married. Uh, <laughs> we're not married, so. Right, so it is right now. Yeah, that's the only reason I haven't proposed. I don't want you doing finger stuff out there. At the same time, Lorelai is meeting with Luke for their business dinner. She is also, like, right at the precipice of just falling apart. Uh, Luke notices and asks. First off, before we get to the emotional part, Luke's outfit. Uh, he doesn't want to wear this stuff, admittedly. But I just feel like he looks, whenever he dresses up, I'm like, no, I like you not dressed up. You like him like this, you think? I didn't hate it as much as you did, but no. I didn't really think about it at all. Well, admittedly, the character doesn't want to wear it. So it's not weird that he maybe doesn't even know how to put an outfit together. But I don't. I just don't like him not dressed. I don't know. I like him casual. Lorelai starts breaking down. She weirdly mentions that she doesn't Did have a... Did you say she starts breaking down? <laughs> I said she starts breaking down. Uh, sounded like you said sharts. <laughs> that was, it was very weird. She ruins her pink coat. <laughs> no, she starts breaking down. She weirdly mentions that she like sometimes wishes she was married so she had a partner to pick up the slack. Okay. Um, but then she couldn't do finger stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she's also had two opportunities, at least, to get married. But she says she also likes the idea of not being married. She yeah. likes her freedom and her stuff and her TV. But besides this, like, in stuff, which is not really about your partner, that's about, like, your business partner. It was kind of a weird first thing to say. Yeah. I guess your partner could have gone to the inn to, like, approve a delivery, but it's, that would have been Suki's job. I mean, she probably has a bunch of stuff she needs to get done around her house that she's not doing. She doesn't have a job. She's not raising a kid. And she has a man who will come over and fix anything that needs fixing for free. Yeah, that's true. It does seem, from what she says, that getting the inn set up is like a full-time job. Sure. And I bet it is. That's true. But I just don't know how like a partner, marital partner, would help with that. Right. Well, I wonder if she's like neglecting things that need to be done around the house and like haircuts and stuff because she's like constantly working. I don't know. She also does have a boyfriend that has a ton of money. Can't you just ask him for money? Yeah, I mean, I can see how asking for $30,000 from your new boyfriend, boyfriend your is a little business partner yeah. that you're hiding from your parents. Yeah, that's a sticky web. Yeah. Anyway, she starts crying as well. This scene, like, mirrors exactly what was happening with Rory. She starts yeah. saying that she's a failure. Like, Trick's calling her a charity case to her face, like, had a real effect on her because she thinks it's true. She is a charity case. She's upset because she's so close to having her dream, but it's all, like, not working out. It's all falling apart. But they say a lot of the same things. Like, yep. they don't have things under control. They're failing. They need to talk to the other Lorelai. They're both in the arms of a man who wants to be with them, who they've rejected. That are married. Yes. Ah! So much is similar. Can you do that scream again less loud? <laughs> They're similar. <laughs> you do it less like a bird? <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay, it's going in. <laughs> Then the episode ends with both of the women, Rory and Lorelai, each listening to each other's voicemails while being very sad. And then the sad lalas start playing. That's the episode. 
So, Stacy. Yeah. Do you think this is a good episode? I do. Yeah. I think it was good. I liked the the format of them not being able to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of it was a little heavy-handed. I don't know. But I liked the moments at the end. It was it was interesting to see them break down, and I think they justified their meltdowns pretty well. Yeah. All the Emily and Trick stuff was great. Yeah. Good comedy, good drama. Yeah, Paris being upset about her boyfriend was a, a bit aggressive and mean, but, like, it was funny. Good jokes in there, too. I don't know. There's a lot happened. Uh-huh. And I think it was, for the most part, well-written. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good one. I agree. I think this is really good. It was a very funny episode. All the lines at Trix's luncheon were super funny. Yeah, she's great. Mm-hmm. That must be such a fun, like, time on set mm-hmm. to be like, I'm sure she's a nice woman, and she's like, I'm going to be so mean to you in a second. You know yeah. I mean? She's so funny. No, I thought it was well-written. I mean, I pointed out a couple of the weird things, like the Star Trek inconsistencies, or super consistencies. Very consistent. <laughs> yeah, who knows? And obviously, this is setting up some future issues with Dean, I think, anyway. But I think this is a great episode. Uh, really, really, really funny. Okay. Well, which episode do you think was better? Buffy by a mile. Um, I don't believe you. No, it was Gilmore Girls. I think Gilmore Girls was a better one. Yeah, I think this was a clear mm-hmm. winner right yeah. after we watched it for me. Yeah, for me too. And Buffy wasn't like bad. I just, I think because so much of it rode on the performance of Riley and I didn't love it. No. The struggle he's going through is very interesting, but I just like don't care about his character that much. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the issue with Riley for me and... I don't know. He's just not charismatic. And I don't know if it's the actor or the writing because, honestly, I don't like both. Yeah. Like, his character is weird. Like, the weird poetry and car talk. Like, I don't buy that at all. I don't mind the, like, he's a straight shooter, like, Midwestern kind of nice guy. I don't mind that. But, like, I don't, I just, the other stuff I don't like about him. And I don't know that the actor is bringing enough to it. They're clearly trying to tell us that Buffy needed, like, a normal guy to balance out all the Parker and Angel problems she had. Yeah. But I almost don't buy that she'd be into that kind of guy. Sure. Honestly, though, I think a lot of it is circumstance for Buffy. Yeah. I think her love for him is very circumstantial. But uh, that all aside, I I mean, I think Gilmore's a hands-down winner this time. Yeah. Great episode. Very funny. Both episodes have someone holding their partner while they break down. Luke and Lorelai are not partners. You're right. Okay, love interests. They're married. They're married? Dean and Luke. Yeah, I know, but you know what I'm saying. I do know what you're saying. You're, you're right. right. They are married, but we are, come on. Yes, it, it was like someone being sad and being comforted by someone they care about. It's interesting how the roles reverse, though, because in Buffy, she's being strong and like holding on to Riley, who's much bigger than her. Uh, and then in the other one, it's both women being held by men. Yeah, and Dean's much bigger than everybody. Yeah. I want to see Dean next to Riley. Yeah, the internet says Riley's 6'2", but he seems taller to me. Yeah, Chemistry Geller's small, but geez, man. I think Dean is like 6'4". He's big. Really? Yeah, he's tall. Oh, my God. Rory's just a tall for a woman. Yeah, I, I always see Rory, and I never think of her as tall. I always think of her as small, but she's always standing next to Dean. So, well, I don't know how big Milo is or... Milo's not tall. He's probably like 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, That's tall, okay. Yeah, he's very tall. Very tall. Uh, titles for both were good. Good by Iowa, I think it's good because I think it's sort of like a, you're not in Kansas anymore kind of thing for Riley. Oh, sure. Because his whole world has been shaken and changed and like revealed to be different than he thought. So he's like leaving because I- he's from Iowa. He's sort of like, you're not in Iowa anymore. You're in the real crazy world. So I liked that title. I think it's actually a little bit subtle. I like that. And the incredible sinking Lorelei's I also liked. I just think that both these shows sometimes have dumb titles. That's the only reason I'm mentioning that. This is Ben. 
Brian's opinion on titles. Yep. Not to be confused with Brian's opinion on titties, which is a different podcast I do. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. It's a different just, just. All right. Which is allowed until you're married. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you can't do titty opinions anymore. Well, just one titty, pair of titties, and they have to be the same opinion every time. If you want to watch along <laughs> next week, we'll be watching Gilmore Girls Season 4, Episode 15, Seen in a Mall. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 4, Episode 15, This Year's Girl. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Like, why did Mrs. Kim tell Lane to wear socks? How do you feel about Riley's acting? How do you feel about the Lorelai's crying? Do you think the Star Trek reference was an intentional callback, or do you think that was overlooked by the writers? Why did Adam kill that science man? Doctor. Science doctor. Science doctor man. Did you recognize the little boy from Boy Meets World? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. For more non-podcast content, follow us at Brian and Stacy. Brian with a Y, Stacy with an E-Y. And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. We're also now watching and discussing the show Angel, posting weekly video reviews exclusively on our Patreon page. So find us at patreon.com slash Brian and Stacy, where we also host monthly live stream watch parties, post monthly outtakes, and extended episode previews. And shout out to our new Patreon subscriber, Amanda Nope. Besides Patreon, you can support the podcast by making a donation of your choosing via the link found in the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bios. Or by purchasing wine through our partnership with Wink. Or you can support us for free by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and in return, we'll give you a shout-out at an upcoming podcast. And you'll have helped us get discovered by even more Buffy and Gilmore fans. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. We just received some Indian food. You said that like we didn't expect it. Uh, We don't know where this came from. But we're going to eat it. It was in the mail, which is maybe not good. <laughs> it's cold. No, nah, we ordered it and it just arrived. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's going to be so comforting, like Dean's arms. Yeah. Buffy the Gilmore Slayer.